Good morning. Prayer bowls are up here. We mention every week, but if you have prayer requests, please put them in one of the bowls. We'll pray for you right away, and then probably once a month at least, individually, you'll be prayed for over those prayer requests. Uh, the other bowl is for praise. If there's things God's done, we'd love to hear it. That's been really, actually really fun, because there's a few coming in, and just to see what God's doing is very encouraging. So this morning, uh, we're going to be um, in Mark chapter 12, and this is a huge topic and very relevant because we're hearing about it all the time. So I'm going to take a stab at it this morning. In Mark chapter 12, would you stand? We're going to read verses 13 through 17. The disciple and, and duty to civil government. So in Mark chapter 12, verse 13, and then we'll do a little responsive reading. I'll pray and we'll ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Help us to understand his ways and his means. So in Mark 12, verse 13, then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. When, when they had come, they said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one, for you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. So they brought it, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled. That's a very, very strong word. They marveled. They were blown away at him. Psalm 119, verses 81 through 88. I'll read the... 81 in the odd verses, if you would join together in reading the second, and then I'll pray. My soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. For I become like a wineskin in smoke, yet I do not forget your statutes. Now that's a really good phrase there for what we're talking about this morning. When will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? We'll talk about that a little bit. The proud have dug pits for me, which is not according to your law. They all almost made an end of me on earth, but I did not forsake your precepts. So, Lord, we're thankful for your word and even these things that are just sort of weaved into this, these verses that we're on this week. Just about, our, Lord, we say help, help us, God. As we're working through things and going through things as a nation, families, and then individually, thrust upon us because of our faith in you. And we're seeing things and trying to navigate this whole area of civil obedience our responsibilities. I pray, Lord, the things I prepared, you would help me to communicate your heart to your people from your word. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. You can be seated. So we're going to talk, we're going to do some government talk this morning. In so doing, just to preface this, and I'm going to also close with this, we must take God's word seriously. I know you'd say amen to that. We must take our walks with God personally. So this is a personal thing between us and the Lord as far as this subject of our duty to civil government. And must pray not to take ourselves too seriously. Would you say amen? 
And when others disagree, to not take it personally, but help by the, by the grace of God. We all need lots of grace if we're going to keep the faith and finish our race with joy. Amen? We also need lots of one another in, fellowship, in the fellowship of the saints, which is called the church. And I wanna, I'm going to close, hopefully, uh, this study to talk about that a little bit. Here's my main slide, main point, two things. Render to Caesar, surrendered to God. Render to Caesar, surrendered to God. So it says there, verse 12, let's go through it. And they sought to lay hands on him, but feared the multitude, for they knew he had spoken the parable against them. That's verse 12. We're running in now. To, he had spoken the parable. They knew it. So they left him and went away. So this is the week of the Jewish Passover celebration at this time. Jesus is heading to the cross. We're in the last week of his, of his, his earthly ministry. And so here we see in Ex- Jesus, our Passover lamb. In Exodus chapter 12, as God gave the instructions for this celebration, the Passover, the lamb was to be examined for four days in the house. It became the house pet and dear to them before being sacrificed to make sure it was spotless. And so we see here Jesus, our Passover lamb, being examined by, for defects, if you will, being examined mercilessly. Of course, Jesus is found flawless and undefiled. He always is. He's the perfect and spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But here he is, going to the cross, our Passover Lamb. The religious leaders who regularly fought among themselves joined forces. These wicked men unashamedly put the Son of God to the test to their shame. Arrogantly and without provocation, they tried every trick in the book to disgrace Jesus. After each defeat at the words of Jesus, they would regroup, formulate some new plan, and try again, seeking to trap Jesus into some remark or something he would say by which they could kill him. They are scheming right now, because you remember it was three or four days ago, they're scheming right now to turn the tide of public opinion against him. So they got this new plan, uniting the Herodians and enlisting some of their young disciples to do their dirty work, send them to trap Jesus. So we read in verse 13, they sent him to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. Now in Matthew, he writes... Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples. They're sending the young guys with the Herodians saying, Tell us, therefore, why, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So they sent to him to catch him in his words. The Pharisees are the ultra-conservative. They're the professional law keepers. They're the legalists. They were the Jewish patriots. The Herodians, on the other hand, was a Jewish political party, but sympathized with the Herodians, their dynasty and their rule. So they were the Jewish patriots of Rome. So you can just imagine 
the animosity between them. What a strange union. They hated Jesus more than they hated each other. Here are two parties that were normally severely hostile toward one another, uniting together for one, with one purpose in mind, to kill him. So you can sense the tension building. It says there, we find in Luke chapter 23, that Herod and Pilate became friends over the same murderous agenda, and they carried it out. So in Luke 23, it says, that very day, the day that they're trying Jesus, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. And that's what Jesus does. He sets the line. And you might have parties warring on one side, but man, when it comes to Jesus, they're together in trying to remove him. Now, let me begin with this study with a perspective I think is really important and very encouraging. Any alliance against Jesus is an alliance doomed to fail finally and utterly. Any talk about our duty to civil government is foolish without acknowledging that God's government rules over all, always has, always will. Amen. So just some, some verses for us. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall hold them in derision. Revelation chapter 17, then the ten horns which you saw are, the ten, are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And, he, and the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them, Psalm 2. He himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All caps. And I saw the beast, the King of Kings, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army, and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived the, those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive in the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the throne, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Hallelujah. <laughs> Jesus is going to establish his kingdom, and there is none other that can even begin to counter it. It reminds me of the hymn, many of you know it, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. One of the verses goes like this. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. 
The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not at his, for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. And all God's people said, Amen. no, hallelujah. <laughs> they sent to him and some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. So they want to, they want to twist his words into a net of partial truths with which to catch him. And they tried that at, the, at his trials also. Psalm 56, 5 says, all day they twist my words, all their thoughts are against me for evil. That's exactly what's going on. There is nothing you can do when someone twists what you say. But make sure they will have to twist what you say. In John, when Jesus saw Nathanael, he said, behold, an Israelite in whom is no guile. May the Lord say that about our lives. Behold, there is no guile. There's no deceit. There's nothing false. And when they had come, they said to him, verse 14, Teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one, for you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So it's a teacher. They're seeking to trap him with what is called flattery. They're trying to flatter him. So I want to take a moment and just talk about this whole area of flattering. J. Vernon McGee said, Applause for a man who is doing a good job is certainly in order. Merit should be recognized. Nothing wrong with that. There is a time to stand up and cheer for an individual. That's not what's going on here with Jesus. It's flattery. They tried beating him down about his authority. Now they're trying to butter him up. Oh, teacher, you're so wonderful. In Proverbs 27... It says, let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. As the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, so is a man to his praise. When praise comes, what happens? It's really going to be tuning in where our hearts are at. And so Char Charles Spurgeon preached a sermon. It's written in one of his books, The Blind Eye and the Deaf Ear. When I first read it, it's, it's sermons to his students. Ecclesiastes was his passage. It says, and do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. For many times also, your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. Spurgeon said this, it is always best not to know nor to wish to know what is being said about you, either by friends or foes. Those who praise us are probably as much mistaken as those who abuse us, unquote. <laughs> or to put it another way, from Jean Antoine, let us believe neither half of the good people tell us our, of ourselves, nor half of the evil they say of others. So true about the human heart. So this flattery is motivated, is rooted in hypocrisy and hatred. Teacher, we know that you're so wonderful. You are true. Care about no one. Like, man, you don't, nobody, you, can, you have no fear of man, none of that. Man, you are just wonderful. You see, what they're doing is flattering Jesus to hide what's really going in their, on in their hearts. They hate him. They want to see his downfall. Proverbs, which is the book of wisdom, has much to say about flattery, but it's never pretty. Flattery is prideful, it's deceitful, it's evil. In Proverbs 26, this, 
this just says it about these men. What's going on here? He who hates disguises it with his lips and lays up deceit within himself. When he speaks kindly, do not believe him. For there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. It's going to come to, to, to be seen. Then he says, whoever digs a pit will fall into it. He who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. And now, again, Proverbs, these things are all connected when you get into Jewish poetry. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. He who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. A lying lip, a lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it. And a flattering mouth works ruin. That's sort of the capstone. Napoleon Bonaparte, you know him. Heard the name anyway. He who knows how to flatter also knows how to slander. Very powerful man. So what are we to do? A couple things came to mind for me. Always remember that you can never flatter God. And by the way, that's what's going on here. There's God. They just don't want to admit it. And they're trying to flatter God. What a, what a pointless attempt to do anything. I cannot flatter God. And secondly, avoid the trap of flattery by never flattering myself. In other words, don't believe all your press. Be the real deal with God. Be the real deal with others. Be the real deal with yourself. Or to put it another way, be honest with God. Be sincerely honest with others. And be brutally honest with yourself. The heart is deceitful of all things and desperately. Who can know it? He doesn't stop there. I, the Lord, test the hearts. Psalm 139, as David's wrapping up, God knowing everything, seeing everything, he wraps up and says, search me, O God, and, let, and know my heart. Try me and see if there's any. Lord, show me what's going on. That's going to require brutal honesty before the word of God and the spirit of God, but not to condemnation, but to freedom to strength, to courage, through the cross. There is no other way of guarding oneself from, from flatterers except letting them understand that to tell you the truth does not offend you. Now, <laughs> that's a good thing to keep repeating because it's going to take some time to work that thing out. Render to Caesar, surrender to God. Verse 15, shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. So Jesus was not taken for one moment by this flattery. He knew the malice in their hearts. He knew exactly what they were thinking, what they were, what was not, was, what they were thinking was different than what they're saying. He was not caught by their flattery nor caught in their net. He answered their question but avoided the snare, which Jesus always did masterfully. So verse 16, so they, bought it, they brought it. He said to them, whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus answered and said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So the question, as you can see, is designed to no matter what Jesus said, they've trapped him. They got him. If Jesus said they should pay taxes, the Jews would oppose him as a traitor. 
If Jesus said they should not pay taxes, then he is in, in insurrection against Rome. Now, there were three taxes that were imposed by Rome. The ground tax, which is 10% of your crop from the land you own. The income tax, which was 5% of your income. Oh, add them up, it's still half of what we pay. <laughs> the poll tax, which is denarius a year, one day's wage. So that's what, that's what the lesson's coming from, this poll tax. It was paid directly in the emperor's treasury. It was paid by men ages 12 to 65 and by women ages 14 to 65 years old. It was paid to Rome just for existing. It's interesting that this is the coin that Jesus asked for. So we're talking about the civil government. The poll tax was a yearly reminder that Rome ruled over them. Most Jews grudgingly complied with it. The Pharisees used religion to find ways around it. And the zealots hated it and refused to pay it. So this coin, this denarius, becomes the lesson. Whose image and inscription is this? Well, let me see that. Well, there's a portrait of Tiberius Caesar and the inscription in Latin on one side, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. On the other side, Pontifex Maximum, chief priest of the Roman Empire. So inscribed on this coin is Caesar's claim to be a god and therefore owed emperor worship. Now, do you think that went well over with the Jews? You bet it was repulsive to them. So the lesson, it's like the coin. There are two sides. Caesar has a legitimate claim. So does God. Give each their rightful due. Render to Caesar, surrendered to God. There's the earthly, two spheres of responsibility. The earthly and the heavenly. Citizens of heaven pay taxes on earth. But citizens of earth can understand and lay treasures up in heaven. Render to Caesar, surrender to God. Jesus' response, I love this quote. Jesus' response is most brilliant, not because it overturns the tax trap so effectively, but because the Lord steered his way through a divine contention, decisive, divisive contention, by turning it into a challenge for all souls to acknowledge the centrality of God. Unquote, I say amen. amen. We got to take these things and focus our lives on God. We have a God-ordained responsibility to the civil government. In an interesting account, the leaders approached Peter about Jesus paying, paying the temple tax, which every Jew, 20 years old and above, paid. So Jesus asked Peter if kings, if kings tax their own family members. The answer is no, family members were exempt and are exempt. Now I'll read it, Matthew chapter 17. Those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax, temple tax? He said, yes, yeah, he pays it. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take custom or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter said, from strangers. Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Nevertheless, 
Lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take that fish, the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a pe- How many of you like to fish? Just go fishing before you have to pay your taxes. No. <laughs> you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. Jesus' point is this. He is king, and the disciples are his family. Nevertheless, Jesus paid it. <laughs> Though he paid it in a way that was somewhat fishy. <laughs> Check it out. Rather than stir up controversy, he paid it. And by it, Jesus demonstrated his submission to the ruling authority. Jesus was not an anarchist, he wasn't a terrorist, he wasn't a rebel insurrectionist. Jesus recognized and respected the rule of law and government on earth. And this was a matter by which, in which he was not going to get entangled. I think we take some wisdom from that. There are things about which we should just render it to Caesar, surrender it to God. The believer is to respect the government under which he or she lives. The believer is not to speak evil of his rulers or work to overthrow the government. The Lord's still working on me on that one. The believer is to obey God, pray his, pay his taxes, and pray for those in authority. As Christians, our responsibility to Caesar does not relieve us our responsibility to God. Nor does our responsibility to God relieve us of our responsibility to Caesar. In fact, it strengthens it. Render to Caesar Surrender to God. There is a certain sphere of human life within which the government has the right to exercise authority. J. Vernon McGee put it this way. I have responsibility to government. When I see my income tax, I think I have too much responsibility. <laughs> there are no perfect governments. History has proved that over. Man cannot rule himself. We're finding that even in the greatest nation the earth has ever known, the greatest government the world's ever known, we're seeing it now here. Communism, if you have two cows, you give both cows to the government, and then the government sells you some, some of the milk. Socialism, if you have two cows, you give both cows to the government, and then the government gives you some of the milk. Nazism. If you have two cows, the government shoots you and takes both cows. Fascism. If you have two cows, you milk both of them and give the government half of the milk. The New Dealism. If you have two cows, you kill one, milk the other, and pour the milk down the drain. Capitalism. If you have two cows, you sell one cow and buy a bull. Listen. God's people are to pray for those who are in authority over us. First Timothy, therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks. By that way, that's an acrostic. I pray that supplications, S, P, prayers, I, intercessions, and giving of thanks, G-O-T, spigot. What's the spigot of your prayers? <laughs> Be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Why? That we may lead a peaceable and quiet, lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. 
For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge. So we need to be praying for our governing authorities. And I will be honest with you, that is difficult for me to do sometimes. And yet God tells me to because he's my Savior. A boy asked his politician father, what does the chaplain in the Senate do? Of the chap- what does the chaplain of the Senate do? The realistic dad replied, he stands up, looks at the senators, and then prays for the country. Did you get it? Okay. <laughs> Someone said the trouble with politics, politics is the art of looking for trouble, finding it everywhere, diagnosing it wrongly, and applying unsuitable remedies, unquote. <laughs> Here's an interesting thing. In order to prevent idiot statesmen from passing stupid laws upon the people, at one point in ancient Greek history, lawmakers were asked to introduce all new laws while standing on a platform with a rope around their neck. If the law passed, the rope was removed. If it failed, the platform was removed. (laughs) God's people not only pray, but also to obey the governing authorities. Now, we're going to understand that in the context of the whole. Rendered to Caesar, surrendered to God. In Romans 13, this is the chapter we have to talk, we have to read at least, talk a little bit. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rules are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. See, we, we complain when things, we don't complain when things are okay, but when they're bad, we, we're, we don't like it. Different story. There's a sign at a traffic court, don't complain. Think of the summons you have deserved but didn't get. That couldn't be me, is it? (laughs) Verse 4, he is God's ministry for good. Now, here's what I would say. What happens when they are not for good? God has ordained them for good. What happens when they're evil? See, that's what I, when I look at this passage, God... For good, But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. What happens when they're, when they're bringing against those practicing good, which is what's going on? Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Someone said, it used to be that the best safety device in any car was a rearview mirror with a cop in it. Conscience. God's people are not only to pray and obey, but God's people are to pay the governing taxes. Romans, for Romans, again, verse uh, 6. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. And they are. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes, custom to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. By accepting the advantages of Caesar's rule, a civilized uh, society, we consent to these obligations. We are kept safe by the work of the first responders, police, firefighters, medical people. Can we give it, give it up for them? We appreciate that if you're one of those. 
We use the roads, we, use, we, we get the water, we get electricity, and so we're responsible to pay for them. A young, man, a young woman reports she is putting her money in taxes because it's the only thing that is sure to go up. <laughs> now, well, I'll do this one. This, I might be stepping on too many. I hope, I don't know. But the Sunday school teacher in teaching her, her children from Luke chapter 2 said, who decreed that all the world should be taxed? <laughs> when a little children roll out, the Democrats, no. <laughs> so here it is. Where there is conflict, where there is collision, we must always obey God. And we need to do that, and we can only do that by, being, by understanding his book. What does that work? How does that work? I love this quote also. From J.D. Jones, the duty of obedience to the state is not unlimited. It is subject always to our obedience to God. My authority ends, said Napoleon in a wise and weighty sentence, where the authority of conscience begins. That is why when the state travels beyond its province, it may be resisted and disobeyed, unquote. If called on to do anything that would violate my higher allegiance to Christ, I am to refuse and, it, and if, if so be, bear the consequences. The claims of God must come first. I know as believers, you know this. You, believe, you get that. But may, just as we're sharing this morning, allow the Holy Spirit to prepare us for what's coming. Uphold, in upholding the claim, those claims, the Christian should endeavor to always maintain a good testimony. We must be a testimony before the world as light and salt. To as much as depends on us, as much depends on me, I am to live peaceably with all men. Render to Caesar, surrender to God. Three Jewish, young Jewish men standing before an irate world ruler, name was Nebuchadnezzar, who was demanding they fall down and worship the golden image of himself. Here's what, they, here's what we read in Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the, if that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. So the, the threat was, we're going to throw you in the furnace. And they actually... We're thrown in the furnace. But these three young men are saying, it doesn't matter. We're going to obey God. We're not going to bow down to that image. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor we worship the, golden Im the gold image which you have set up. Courageous young men. But central, they were surrendered to God. In Acts Two disciples standing before a furious assembly of judicial leaders, powerful men, severely threatening them and demanding they stop telling people about Jesus. Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. You need to judge that for yourself. But we cannot but speak the th things which we have seen and heard. Acts chapter 5, Peter and the apostles answered, we ought to obey God rather than men. Again, I say this 
just for a reminder for most of us in this room to our hearts. We are going to be called. We are going to be going through more of what we already are. I, I see that becoming more and more a need to be ready. How? Render to Caesar, surrender to God. You can either go render to Caesar, period, surrender to God, period, or render to Caesar, comma, surrender to God. Jesus answered them, render to Caesar, and then he says, and they marveled at him. In other words, time to regroup. Time to formulate a new plan. Time to try again. <laughs> There's nothing like beating their heads against the rock. Capital R. Render to Caesar, surrender to God. God's people are to pray for those who are in authority, are to obey the governing authorities, are to pay the governing taxes, and God's people must stay close to Christ, stay close to Jesus. God does not want the incessant and useless wranglings that the things of Caesar can so quickly and so passionately render us angry with one another, divided out of fellowship, not only with one another, but out of fellowship with God. What does God want? God wants our hearts. Render to Caesar, surrender to God. God wants my heart. He wants your heart. And many times it's through the very difficult things of life that we begin to hand over more of that to him who is able. God has put his image and inscription on our very hearts. J.D. Jones again said, we defraud God of his due if we do not give him consecrated and devoted hearts, unquote. We owe our very existence to the God of heaven. We are wonderfully and marvelously made, and that our souls know very well. So render to God the glory due his name. Render to God the praise and thanksgiving due his name. Render to God your allegiance due to him who is faithful. Render to God a holy life due to him who is holy. Render to God your obedience due to him who died for you. Render to God the fulfilling of your responsibilities and your labors due him who called you. Render your sanctified affections due to him who washes you. Render to God the fruit of the Spirit due to him who fills you. Render to God the first fruits of your increase due to him who blesses you. He wants our hearts. Render to Caesar, surrender to God. As I said to begin, we must take God's word seriously. Our walks with God personally. And pray to not take ourselves too seriously. And yet, when others disagree, to not take that personally. We all need lots of grace if we're going to keep the faith and finish our race with joy. We also need lots of one another in the fellowship of the saints, the church. I'm turning a corner. 
When the governing authorities begin to intrude into the church, begin to intrude contrary to God's word, God's people must obey God rather than man. Surrendered to God. John MacArthur, quote, We obey the government when the government functions within the territory given to it by God. We don't want the government coming in and parenting our children. They would like They would like to do that, and they're working hard to do it now. They would like to isolate your children from you as parents, but you fight fight that. You don't want the government running the church, unquote. There is a film that came out. Some of you saw it. How many of you saw The Essential Church? Many? Okay. Came out in July of this year. A feature-length documentary explores the struggle between the church and government throughout history. This story takes us to multiple countries and uncovers those who have sacrificed their lives for what they believe in. That's sort of the the heading of this. Here's what they, I drew the diagram here, but here's, they, they, in John MacArthur's church, it's centered around what happened in the pandemic. I want to read some of the things he said in a moment. But he has 40 elders on his, in his church that had to come to agreement. Are we going to open up or not? These godly men wrestled before God because of Romans 13 and how they saw that. and not, So they were wrestling this thing through. It was not easy. The documentary is very, very transparent and, and you see these things. And so one of their elders knew another theologian who talked to him about Romans 13. And just quickly, this diagram, we, we, we tend to, the question is, is it God-government church or is it God-church government? Which one is it? And thus the wrestlings. And what he pointed out in Romans, and I think uh, in, as far as the understanding, how does this thing, thing work? You got God, you got church, you got government. You got God, you got government. How does that work? Well, this diagram is what I, I put together as far as what they came to understand. The church is responsible and accountable to God, and so is the government. And then there's this interaction between the government and the church that must be understood in the authority that God has over both. So the question is answered. The church is accountable to God and must from God get the the, uh, commands, whatever it is. How do we function? What has God told us about the church? And a main scripture, not forsaking the assembly of yourselves as is a matter of some. And the government steps in. You got, in fact, I ordered the DVD. It's not out yet, but when I get it, I'm, we're going to have a showing of that here to watch it and see it. It is so powerful. It is so needed because when I'm looking at, at what's going on right now, now, there's more things now in the pipeline to try and thrust upon us, the church, us as citizens. That in my understanding and how, and I've read quite a bit, I, I understand a lot of these things are absolute lies. And yet, because of the age in which we live, because we have a cunning adversary, God said in the end times there's going to be a strong delusion. I'm trying to think of where I heard this come to mind. Anyway, can't remember, but but that what what was wherever that was, I heard it. You know, he's talking about how 
in a perfect environment, Eve, who was light years ahead of us in every way as a human being, was deceived by the devil. Deception, there's going to be this deception that comes over the world in the end times. I believe we're seeing it now when we look at the insanity of what people are doing, what people are believing, what people are saying. Anyway, I want to, I'll just let me, I'll go on and on. I don't want to do that this morning. Justin Peters, which is, has Justin Peters Ministries, interviewed Pastor John MacArthur of Grace Community Church. They are the ones that produce this documentary. It's on YouTube. Again, if you want to get these links, please just email me. I'll send you my notes. But here is, I'm, I'm, I transcribed this myself. I want to read to you a little bit of what, in being interviewed about this documentary, what Pastor John MacArthur said. He said, it went on for a couple of years, this whole finding Grace Community for opening up. And the end of it was so amazing and remarkable because we won our case after suing the government. And the result of the winning of the case was that the government had to pay three and one half, three and a half million dollars in all the legal fees. And they had to give us a permanent injunction against any time in the future that no government authority or office can come against Grace Community Church. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah. So this is John MacArthur being interviewed. He says, you ask, well, why would they give you that? If they wanted to shut you down, they were fining you and threatening prison and threatening to take you away your property. Now, in this documentary, that happened in Canada. They took them away. They put a fence around the church. They locked the doors. They changed the locks and put two pastors into prison. That's just north of the border. But I digress. <laughs> Why would they all of a sudden flip and pay all the fees that, and give you the permanent protections? And the answer was because towards the end, we said we, wanted a tri- we want a trial and we want to bring the health officials and the county supervisors in for legal deposition, and that's perjury if you lie. So we're going to ask them the truth about COVID. And when we, and when we declared that we wanted a trial and we were going to ask them the questions about COVID... 24 hours later, they paid all the fees and gave us the permanent injunction. This is what he said. The one thing they feared most was the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Christian church, the church us, is the only thing that stands between a government of tyranny and a government that's under God's authority. That's, he says, that's the story, and it just felt like in my own heart, this is so unusual a situation to come up against the government, and in the end, the Lord's vindicated us, that I wanted to document the story. It's not about me, he says. It's not about Grace Church. It's much bigger than that. And I didn't want to wait till five years down the road for someone to write about this and spin it a different way. I wanted a documentary that says this is exactly what happened and this is how you have to understand it so that people would be encouraged in the future when this stuff comes back again because I don't think they're done trying to deal with Christianity in this culture that is so debased and wicked. He says, to close, this, uh, what I'm quoting. So I was hopeful that it would put some courage in the church for the future 
to see what God did when we were faithful and the opportunity to see the hand of God, unquote. Would you say amen? May God help us. Can I have the worship team come out? We will be tested. That's a given as a Christian. But in this area of government and church, we will be tested. And, and, and it's really nothing new throughout the history of the church, right from the beginning. How are we going to respond? Will we be educated? Will we be equipped? Because if so, we will be encouraged. And we will be those who can encourage others. Will we have done our homework, our book work? Will we stay true to God? Render to Caesar, but surrender to God. I believe that by the grace of God, we will. We will take as it comes. In fact, even in Mark, I believe when these things come, that the grace of God is sufficient. And it's in those things that we really learn that lesson. His grace is sufficient. Will we be strong and courageous? As Moses said to Joshua, have I not commanded the Lord, commanded him? Moses commanded and the people said the same thing. To young Joshua, be strong and courageous. May the Lord help us. Amen. Stand. Let's close with this song and then I'll pray.